verses uh, 16 through 21 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so as coincidence or providence would have it, this is actually my fourth consecutive year preaching on MLK weekend. I don't know how that has happened. It just has. Um, <clears throat> this April will mark 50 years since Dr. King was assassinated, actually, in April. Um, but I, I actually didn't grow up hearing much about Dr. King. I was born in Hong Kong. Um, I grew up there. I was educated in the British education system. We didn't actually talk very much about American history. Um, I knew he'd given a great speech this one time. Um, my early years were spent at a Southern Baptist church in Hong Kong. Uh, you may have heard me talk about it before. It was a great church as far as I knew. I went to Sunday school every week. I learned the Bible, you know, memorizing uh, verses. Uh, I was taught what it meant to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, what it meant to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, what it meant to live a good life, what it meant to live a godly life. I first committed my life to God as far as I understood it uh, then in that church, and as a teenager, I got baptized there. I knew I was loved there. I knew I was um, part of the community. I knew I had a place there. I have a picture of me in youth group for your enjoyment. I'll let you enjoy it for a moment longer. Uh, my parents still go there, uh, as do many of the folks who mentored me and taught me as a kid. And I'm forever grateful for that church, for the foundation it laid for what my faith looks like today. But things didn't look promising after I left home. Uh, I left home at 15. I moved, uh, moved to England to go to boarding school. And without the familiarity and the structure of family and, and church community, I kind of fell into only occasionally uh, going to church and more out of habit and sometimes guilt uh, than by choice. Uh, then a series of events in college, which would take far too long to tell right now, led me to decide to give God another shot. There was a sense of, uh, I grew up being told all of this, this stuff and I believed it, um, so maybe I should give it a go. And so I, I sort of went all in on God and church and the life of faith. And as that began to happen, I started to get blown away uh, by all the ways God had something to say about my life. Uh, and I mean that in, in this, a wonderful way. Uh, the hope that I had for my future when things had been looking fairly uncertain. Uh, the deep friendships that began to emerge uh, that were based on more than just having fun or uh, sharing similar hobbies. God had something liberating uh, and challenging to say about uh, how I handled my money and what I chose to do with my time, and even the words I chose to use. And then as time went on, I started to realize all of the ways God had something to say about how I interacted with others. The way I thought about my family and my friends and, and romantic interests. 
And then again, as time went on, the circle of God's influence, at least in my understanding, it expanded yet again uh, to include everything. Uh, not just how I interact with everything, uh, though that's part of it, but just, just everything. Absolutely everything. Right about that time, I came across this quote from Dutch politician and philosopher Abraham Kuyper. He says, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. And it was about that same time that I was also introduced to Dr. King's larger body of work, to more than just the I have a dream speech, uh, including this. He said, The end, the goal, is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. The beloved community. An idea that beyond achieving legislative victories as significant and important as the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act were, Beyond them lay a vision of an existence in which bigotry and prejudice were replaced not just by tolerance, but by an actively inclusive brotherhood and sisterhood, in which the wealth of the earth was shared so that no one would be without food or home. And Dr. King believed this beloved community was achievable in this world, in our world, by a commitment to and practice of nonviolence. But even Dr. King's vision was rooted in something deeper, something we often refer to as the kingdom of God. Our vision as Christ City Church is to see the kingdom of God on display in D.C., in every life and every sphere of life. Last week, Matthew preached about what it looks like for us to seek the kingdom of God in every life, what it means for us to look out for the work of God's Spirit in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, those we encounter. And this week I'm going to talk about what it looks like for us to seek the kingdom of God in every sphere of life. As Matthew mentioned last week, we understand the kingdom of God to be the rule and reign of Jesus. The rule and reign of Jesus. Author Dallas Willard would describe it as the range of God's effective will. Wherever what God wants to happen actually happens. Wherever things are as God would have them be. And if you're skeptical about why that might be a good thing, now let me try to put it another way. The kingdom of God is where things are how they were meant to be. Where things are how they were intended to be, how they were created to be. And we get glimpses of what this might look like throughout the Bible. Uh, in recent weeks and months, we've talked about shalom. We've talked about wholeness. We've talked about rightness of relationships. We've talked about the vision of restoration in the book of Revelation. But one of my favorite encapsulations of what God's kingdom is about uh, comes here in Luke 4, which Matthew read earlier. In Luke's Gospel, this is Jesus' very first act of public ministry. This is his very first sermon. And we're told that he goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, as was his custom as an observant Jew. And he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, which was the, the posture of a rabbi about to teach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is basically saying, Everything that Isaiah said, 
Everything I've just read, that's about me. The Spirit of God has anointed me. This is what I'm about. This is Jesus' mission statement, his manifesto, his stated purpose. You know, if you want to know uh, what an organization is about, you look at their, their mission statement. Uh, most churches, if you go to their website, will have a section on there where it says their mission and their vision, what they're about. Most nonfiction books in the introduction will say, this is the purpose of this book. This is what I, the author, am trying to show or prove or explore. And what we have here is Jesus saying, this is what I'm about. This is what I came for. Proclaiming good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners and the oppressed. Sight for the blind. Announcing the year of God's favor. Setting things right. Righting the wrong. That's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be on display. And that's why we and billions of Christians around the world pray for God's kingdom to come. God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. For more of up there to come down here. For God to be present in every single aspect of human life, in every single aspect of every one of our lives. For an end to war, famine, and poverty. For an end to hostility and the constant devaluing of the image of God in people. For an end to all the isms of the world. For an end to addiction and abuse of all kinds. For an end to injustice and oppression. And in their place, the beloved community. The kingdom of God. Jesus, you see, is about the redemption of all things, not just the so-called spiritual. On the individual level, Jesus cares about every aspect of us because every aspect of us is important and of value to God. That's why we are to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. On a macro level, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, and Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, came up with what they called the seven mountains of culture, arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, and religion. And they believed, as do I, that Jesus cares about and has something to say about how we operate in every one of those spheres. There is no sphere of creation, no part of the universe, no country or part of the world or people group for that matter that God does not love and care about. And just as Matthew mentioned last week, there not being one single person in whom God is not at work, whom God cares for and loves with every fiber of his being, so also there is not one single molecule in all of creation that God has lost track of, which God is not drawing back to himself. Not one single molecule. We see this in Colossians 1, where the Apostle Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to God's self, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In other words, what he's saying is when we see Jesus, we see God. If you want to know what God is like, what God looks like, look at Jesus. In fact, this is what Pastor Brian Zond wrote. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like Jesus. The kingdom of God looks like Jesus. It looks like the sick being healed, the poor being fed, the demonized being delivered, and the dead being raised, things that Jesus himself said. It looks like outsiders given a seat at the table and hypocritical gatekeepers given their comeuppance. It looks like forgiveness for sinners and a feast for all. 
As Origen of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers said, Jesus is the kingdom in person. Jesus is the kingdom in person. So if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the kingdom of God. Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. That's what he talked about the most. It was all about bringing the peace and hope and joy and love and justice and presence of God to earth, to real, uh, messy, screwed up, broken human beings and, and relationships and families and friendships and workplaces and systems and structures and neighborhoods and cities and nations. To every sphere, every single sphere of human life. If you can, if you can name it, Jesus came to redeem it. That's what Jesus was about. That's what the kingdom was about, the rule and reign of God, the restoration and renewal and reconciliation of all things. That's why Jesus came and lived and died, making peace through his blood. But here's the thing. Jesus calls us to be about the kingdom too. Jesus calls us to be about the kingdom too. Jesus calls us to care about all of these things too. He said, follow me, right? And he didn't mean it in a social media sense. You know? You know, says something you like or find marginally insightful and you, you like it or share it, but I really don't do much else. He didn't mean it in that sense. He meant it in the discipleship sense. He meant it in the formational sense, where we do what we see him doing. Where we imitate him and we become like him in our character and in our actions and in our words and in our relationships and in our choices and in every sphere that God places us. Jesus calls us to be about the kingdom too because that's where life is found. For each one of us who participates and for everyone who encounters us and for all of creation, we're called and commissioned to be God's agents of restoration and redemption, to be bearers of God's spirit in families and friendships and romantic relationships, in hospitals and schools and jails, in cars, on the road, on foot and on, on the metro. We're invited to be living signs that say this is what life looks like when God is in charge. You are invited to be a living sign that says this is what, God, this is what life looks like when God is in charge. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, we're perfect, not by any means. But it does mean we're constantly listening to and, and looking out for and following and obeying the Spirit of God, acknowledging our mistakes with humility, speaking up when we see something wrong, choosing to honor God with as many of our words and actions and thoughts and moments as we possibly can. And so, for example, if you're, if you're a journalist, your job may be to report what's going on, but your calling is to reveal the truth. If you're a teacher, your job may include communicating information, but your calling is to form young men and women capable of living well. If you're an artist or a creative, the lure will be to simply express yourself, but the calling is to reveal God. Does God long for us to be in relationship with Him? Absolutely. It's what we were made for. Does God desire for us to care for ourselves, for our bodies by, you know, eating well and exercising? Sure. Our bodies are vessels of God's Spirit and, and the means by which we live out our calling. 
Does God want us to be good neighbors and good co-workers, diligent in our work? Yes, do everything as if doing it for the Lord. Does God care about how we steward our resources? From everyone to who has been given much, much will be required and demanded. Does God pay attention to how we treat each other? You better believe He cares about every single person who bears His image, the ones we interact with and the ones we may never see face to face. So be wise how you speak about them, and even more, how you treat them. But how about good news to the poor? Jesus said He came to proclaim good news to the poor. There are an estimated 1.3 billion people around the world who live in extreme poverty, which the World Bank defines as less than $1.25 a day. 1.3 billion people. What does the good news look like to them? 1.3 billion, that's four times the population of the United States. Is it good news? Life on this earth doesn't really matter anyway, so what's good news to the poor? Or to bring it closer to home, what does good news look like for the nearly 50% of children who live in poverty in Ward 8 just across the river? Nearly one in two. You know, I'm always hesitant to use statistics because uh, while they can sometimes help us see the immensity and the scope of the task, they can also make us forget that every single number is a name and a face and a story that God knows and loves and cares for. And that some of us know and love and care for. What does good news for the poor look like? Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely, but that would be part of it. But, but also, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for the whole person. When people were hungry, Jesus didn't say, now, is that political or social? He said, I feed you. Because the good news to a hungry person is bread. When you are ill, I heal you. What about freedom for the prisoner? How many of you have seen the documentary 13th? It's my handful. If you haven't, you should. You think Jesus would have something to say about the prison industrial complex or the school to prison pipeline? You think Jesus would have something to say about the fact that the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world with black men disproportionately so? And, and that D.C., I actually didn't know this before this week, D.C. has the highest incarceration rate in the country. Nearly double the national average. What does freedom look like for the prisoner? What about healing for the sick or freedom for those who are oppressed? What do you think those things look like in our day? What do you think it looks like? Use your imagination. What do you think it looks like for us to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in, in securing help for, for the mentally ill or, or standing up for those who are systematically taken advantage of or defending the vulnerable? Last Thursday was Human Trafficking Awareness Day. I didn't learn until I was in my mid-twenties that human trafficking was still a thing. That over 20 million people all over the world 
are trapped in modern-day slavery. That's more than at the height of the global slave trade. Today. You think Jesus has something to say about that? You think God longs to free them from their oppression? Not just the spiritual chains, but at their actual chains. You think God longs for freedom for, for those who struggle under the weight of self-doubt, who wonder about their own worth, who want, aren't sure if there's anything worth living for? With every fiber of his being. That's why Jesus came, to show us what God is like. To show us the fullness and vitality of life when God is in charge. To show us what the kingdom of God looks like. To show us what's possible. To invite us to be a part of it. Remember what Matthew said last week? God initiates and we participate. We participate. We get to participate. The kingdom of God informs what we are about as a church as Christ City Church, it's important for us as individuals to reach out to the people around us, to, to be good neighbors, to, to be good co-workers, to, to allow God's Spirit to, to grow love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control in us. That's, that's good. It's also important for us to remember that we as individuals are part of a larger body, the church. And that's why we as a church also serve at, at D.C. General Homeless Shelter, as, as some of us will be doing tomorrow, as we've been doing uh, with the diaper drives as well. It's why we support the efforts of D.C. 127 to reverse the foster care wait list, giving of our time and of our money, and even for some, opening up our homes. It's why we provide child care at, at minor elementary parent-teacher meetings, because we want more parents to be involved in, in their kids' education. Because we don't just rent this space, we care for this place. It's why we raise money for organizations like Little Lights and Pazi Esperanza who are faithfully keeping vigil over the gospel and the places God has called them. And it's why we seek to cultivate here uh, a community of support and solidarity and spiritual formation so that no matter where you work, whether at a nonprofit or a government agency or a hospital or a school or on the hill, and no matter what you do outside of work, whether at happy hour or a rec league or volunteering, you will be empowered and reminded that all of us, including you, including you, are called to bear God's image, to carry out God's mission, to be God's presence wherever you are, wherever you go, we are together as Christ City Church, one local expression of the body of Christ. We are together agents and ambassadors of the kingdom of God, instigators and subversives in a world yearning for hope, and desperate for joy and longing for peace and crying out for love. And the vital word there is together. We're not meant to do any of this on our own. Now, if I were to leave it there, I fear you might leave here a little overwhelmed at all I've just talked about and maybe a little discouraged at all that's wrong with the world, um, all that needs fixing. That was, that was very appropriate. It's easy to be overwhelmed by everything that needs fixing, isn't it? 
And we can be both desensitized to pain and suffering and tragedy and heartbreak because we see it all the time, um, but usually through a screen so it doesn't impact us quite as directly. And at the same time, numb to it all because we can tune it out with other distractions uh, or in some cases addictions. And that's not to say anything about all that's in us that needs God's renovating work, which we absolutely don't want to have to go through. So let me offer a, a couple of practical suggestions, a couple of ways to, to bring this home. First, let us pray. Let us pray. Theologian Louis Chatroff writes, Praying and crying to God against injustices describes the whole life of believers. Praying and crying to God against injustices describes the whole life of believers. That has felt particularly pertinent this last year. Decades ago, a man named Bob Pierce prayed, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And God did, which eventually led Bob to found World Vision. And that's our, our desire, too, is to care for the things God cares about. It's a dangerous thing to pray. But it's the right thing to pray. Prayer is how we get on the same page as God, how we don't get too far ahead or completely miss what God might be saying or doing. It's how we're able to discern and name life and death. And when we might be seeing life coming out of death. Prayer is how we, how we talk to God and, and how we listen to God. It's said that theologian Karl Barth suggested, that having, suggested having the Bible in one hand and, and the newspaper in the other. Always bringing the Word of God to bear on the happenings of the day. So what does that look like in our day? How about when you read Twitter or watch the news, uh, instead of turning to the person next to you and complaining about what you just heard or read, and then a moment later moving on to the next thing? Anybody? Instead of doing that, you turn to God. And you lift it up to Him in lament or even in anger. How can we break the cycle of desensitization in our own lives? Cultivate our attentiveness to God in the midst of it all. Prayer is, is also how we stay connected to God. The wellspring of grace, which we'll need. Paul wrote, let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And he, but he didn't expect us to do it in our own strength. He expected us to stay connected with the sustaining power of God. Now, prayer has looked for me like intercession, lifting up prayer requests to God for people in need or desperate situations. But in recent years, it's also looked like contemplation, being still and being silent, sitting in the presence of God and listening and being reminded that a personal relationship with the God of the universe means He's not only in the room with me, but living in me. As Dr. King said, let us realize that as we struggle for justice and freedom, we have cosmic companionship. The God of Jesus Christ is an other-loving God forever, forever working throughout history for the establishment of his kingdom. We have cosmic companionship. When I was growing up, I used to think that I was supposed to have a quiet time, you know, read my Bible and, and pray, because that's what good Christians do. Uh, that, in fact, that's what it means to be a Christian. 
But now I recognize that reading my Bible is so that I don't forget what God is like or what, what Jesus is about and, and what I'm called to uh, because it's easy to forget. And praying is so that I can be everything that I was made to be in Christ, so that I can do everything I was made to do in Christ, so that I can see everything God desires for me to see, so that I may truly seek first His kingdom on earth, His rule and reign in, in every nook and cranny, every crack and crevice, every sphere of life. So pray. I know the urge is to do first, but pray. And then, let us act. Uh, some of you know that I'm currently working on my doctorate, and the class I'm writing a couple papers for right now is called Power, Inequality, and Reconciliation in the Church. And uh, it's exploring the, the use and abuse of power and privilege in the church in matters of race and class and gender in particular, but really all forms of injustice and marginalization. And one of the books I read was by a sociologist called Alan Johnson. And in writing about how to change systems and structures, this is what he says, the simplest way to help others make different choices is to make them myself and to do it openly. The simplest way to help others make different choices is to make them myself and to do it openly. Sociologically speaking, when we make decisions, when we set an example, we make an option seem more possible, more doable for someone else. Well, actually for ourselves too. That works both ways, both with hard but right decisions and with wrong and easy ones. Think about the various testimonies of sexual harassment and abuse that have come out in recent months and how once one or two women were courageous enough to share their stories, others felt empowered to come forward as well and the truth became known. Sociologically speaking, one person saying, that isn't right, or it gets better, or there's another possibility. Or you're loved. Makes it that much easier for someone else to believe it. Or to say the same thing. Or to take action. And that's true spiritually speaking as well. So act. Do something. Say something. Don't allow the immensity of the task at hand or all the brokenness in the world or in front of you or in you to dissuade you from doing what's right and doing what you can because you're not sure what good it's going to do anyway or what difference it's going to make. It is true. It is true that you cannot fix every person, every single situation. If you're honest, you can't even fix yourself. You cannot do everything. And that's okay. We're called to be like Jesus, not to be Jesus. You cannot do everything, but you can do something. To care for the poor and the marginalized. Or to defend the vulnerable and the oppressed. Or to feed the hungry and provide clothing for the naked. Or to challenge the abuse of power and call out injustice. Or to welcome the immigrant and the foreigner. We can do these things in so many ways. We can learn about issues. We can educate ourselves and, and others. We can give to organizations or causes that are working in these areas. We can volunteer our time or get involved in local neighborhood councils. We can advocate for or write even. I know there's folks that write policies, legislation that do these things. We can speak up when we hear someone say something racist or sexist. 
just a few ideas. I'll let God inspire you with more. These are not just good things to do, though they are. This is what we're called to do. Because this is what it looks like when God is in charge. That's the kingdom of God on display in every sphere of life. It's why Christ died, so that the kingdom of God might be on display in every life and every sphere of life, in all its glory and beauty. In his final speech in 1967, Dr. King said, We have a task, and let us go out with a divine dissatisfaction. A divine dissatisfaction. That the way things are is not the way things should be or ultimately will be. A divine dissatisfaction that spurs us to pray and to act to seek the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. Our calling, church, our calling is not to great displays of success and achievement, even achievement in good and noble things. Our calling is to be faithful with what is in front of us. Together in community, taking one step at a time, doing one thing at a time, chipping away at the boulders of racism and white supremacy, of sexism and misogyny, of socioeconomic inequality and extreme poverty and human trafficking and greed and selfishness and sin, until they lie in tiny fragments on the ground in front of us and we rejoice saying, look what God has done. And maybe, look what God has done through us. For some who are here today, that will actually require a significant shift, change of direction from the path you've been on, whether regarding your job or a relationship you're in or even what you're passionate about and pursuing. Maybe it's a change of direction in how you perceive yourself and your identity. Uh, maybe you're here and you're thinking, yeah, I wouldn't really call myself a Christian, but this Jesus and this kingdom thing, as weird as it sounds, there's something right about it. Maybe that's the shift for you, as it was for me 15 years ago, choosing to step toward Jesus and, and, and seeing what happens. And for all of us, I think, God continues to draw us toward a heightened awareness of what we're called to and who goes with us. So this week, remember, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever place you find yourself in, Whatever conversation or interaction or opportunity presents itself to you, remember, you are called to the work of the kingdom of God. You are called to the work of the kingdom of God. And the king himself stands with you. And he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And do not be discouraged. Would you pray with me? God, it is my prayer that we would see in increasing measure your kingdom on display in D.C. in every life and every sphere of life. It is our prayer. It's our vision, our hope as a church. Um, 
not just because that's what we're supposed to want, or, but because I, because I believe that you have good things for us. You desire good things for us. You desire health and wholeness. And, and that, that's what we were made for. That's what we were made to seek and build and work at. And, and so in the midst of all the stuff that we see that points to the contrary, Lord. It's, it's not an indicator that you're not at work. It's an indicator that, that there's work to do. That you didn't intend for us to just sit on our hands and, and enjoy this short ride while it lasts, but that you wanted us to get our hands dirty and jump in and, and be participants in life with you. And so, God, I believe you're speaking to each one of us in the ways that we need to hear it. I think there's some, someone here who needs to be reminded that uh, we need to pray. And we just fill our time so much with doing and running from one thing to the next and, and our lives are just a clutter. Our schedules are full and our, our souls are overwhelmed. And you're saying, hey, come hang out with me. Come be with me. Come be reminded of who you are and what your calling is. And then there's others here that need to be reminded that uh, we've got to do something beyond um, outside of social media. It's okay to, to read things and to, to like things and to retweet them and share them, but there's a world that exists beyond our screens that you're calling us to make a difference in as well. So God, whatever the word is for us, would you impress it upon our hearts? Would you, God, I pray that you would make it an itch that we can't get rid of, honestly. That your spirit would be at work in us so that your spirit might be at work through us. that we might live in our bones and in our bodies that, that prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.